0: Should we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your son and what he means to each one of us. Father, this morning we just pray that we could examine our own hearts, that we could prepare ourselves for the emblems, Father. There are so many teachings in your word of how we are to be right with you As we take this communion and I just pray that each one of us would examine our hearts. That we would go to those who we have wronged. That we would make it right. Father this is such an important, important thing. That you have instructed us to do and I just pray that you would be with us this morning. As we partake. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So no one told you life was going to be this way. You're, and this is better than me singing, believe me. Okay, so I'm going to read it. Uh, your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA, dead on arrival. It's, always, it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. This morning as we start this new series talking about the colors of life, the reality is that there are times when we walk through blue periods. As we walk through those blue periods, we may feel like this is not my day. This is not my week. This is not my year. We may, some of us, feel that more keenly than others. And if we don't feel that today as we sit in this service, we probably know someone that is feeling the sting of that blue state of depression. As we start talking about this these, these, these different seasons of our lives and we start talking about this blue season, let me pause for a brief commercial. Um, there's a book I want to uh, lift up to you uh, that I encourage you to, to check out. It's in our bookstore, actually. Uh, it's called Conquering Depression. An individual from our congregation uh, recommended, me, re- recommended it to me. The tagline under the title says, a 30-day plan to finding happiness. Now that's a, that's a pretty good uh, subtitle for a book. Uh, this will be something that could help you potentially, or help someone that you know potentially. Also, I would offer up to you on a uh, very practical, on a very practical note. Um, and we want to be practical. We want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. We want to help you uh, if you need help today in our in our lobby. Um, uh, Marsha Winnemackie, who is the director of Southwest Medical Clinic's um, counseling center. She attends our church, is a part of our church. She's in the lobby today. So if you know of someone, or you are that someone, that's going through a blue time, going through, maybe it's acute or maybe it's because of some issue in your life, uh, a time of depression, and you need uh, someone to to help uh, that Counseling Center, we have a great partnership with them. I would recommend them to you. You can get information either for yourself or someone that you know. She's uh, going to start some some classes for us. Even today, if you come today and you are just don't know where to turn, uh, she even today is willing to meet with folks. So uh, you can check that out in the table in the gathering area. So I encourage you to do that little commercial interlude this morning. Depression, has been. it has been said is the common cold of the emotional life. And like a cold, we experience it in different... Uh, sometimes a common cold is very acute. It's very debilitating. It's, it, 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 it knocks us for a loop. We're in bed for days. Other times, it's that we have that cold, but we continue to be able to manage through life. Times of blue times of depression come in different in different levels the reality is that it is a part of how god wired us up we will all face times of blue in our lives it's the way god made us throughout scripture we have great heroes of the faith that battled with periods of blue we have elijah who after having called fire down from heaven goes out into the wilderness and wished to die. We have Jonah who became equally dis- depressed when God didn't destroy Nineveh like he had hoped. And he goes out and thought, came to the conclusion that it would be better to die than to live. We have Jeremiah who lamented the day that he was ever born. And then we have Job. Job who had that great helpmate who told him, "'It would be better for you to curse God and die.'" What a great blessing he had in his life with his wife. Um, history is filled, not just scripture, history is filled with individuals that battled periods of depression. We have John Quincy Adams, our second president, who throughout his life battled with times of depression. Or about, what about that young Midwest lawyer who uh, faced times of depression that made his friends right during those times? We need to keep all the knives and razors away from him. And he wrote himself about that deep blue season of his life. I am now the most miserable man alive. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. That was our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. We have Ernest Hemingway who battled depression through his life and finally came to the conclusion that he could not deal with those pains and he took his life. You have the great reformer Martin Luther who battled with times of depression and sought the Lord's help to overcome it. You have Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, who throughout his life struggled with periods of depression, but yet he would say those times preceded times of great personal spiritual growth in his life. And of course, the individual that is very famous for living his life uh, in a season of perpetual blue was Eeyore, who said... (laughs) Whatever can go wrong will go wrong always. That was the way he lived his life. Depression is no respecter of persons. Depression, whether you are a king or a queen or a CEO, those individuals join hands with the sharecroppers and the parking lot attendants in the brotherhood and sisterhood of depression. Anthony Storr wrote that depression is a part of the experience of every human being. Depression is not something that's easily definable. It's something that is pretty loose and it's hard to compartmentalize. These are some things that typically involve either one or all of these things in someone being depressed. This is what some of the things that it looks like. It might mean a depressed mood or decreased interest in life, a decreased appetite, suicidal tendencies, decreased ability to concentrate, decreased energy, insomnia, or hypersomnia, decreased sense of self-worth or well-being. In the United States, statistics tell us that around 10% of the population in any given year suffers with depression. By 2020, it's estimated that behind heart disease, depression will be the second leading killer in our culture, in our society. And shockingly, preschoolers are the fastest growing market for antidepressants. In our culture. And we could go on and we could share about more statistics and share about depression and the plague, the scourge that it is on our culture. But I'll stop there. We all know it's a problem. And it's a problem in the church. It's a problem because in the church, we have sent mixed messages. We have told people, maybe not outwardly, but we have communicated to people that, uh, that, that suffer with depression, that it's a mere lack of faith that you suffer. If you'll just have more faith. Mature Christians, we have communicated and sent mes- me- mixed messages, are immune from depression. Depression. And we've communicated that a true spiritual person could simply make a quality decision, choice, not to be depressed. And whether it's Elijah, Jeremiah, King David, Martin Luther, or Charles Spurgeon, they would all agree wholeheartedly, they would disagree with those misconceptions about depression. This morning, we're going to look at the psalmist, David. And in Psalm 142, I encourage you to turn your, in your Bibles, and there's a pew Bible uh, for you in the pew in front of you. I encourage you encourage everybody to turn there, because we're going to look at this verse by verse, this passage, Psalm 142. As you're turning there, you'll notice at the top, there's a description of this psalm. It's a let It's a song. And what that means is it's a teaching psalm. Notice also that, it, that in that little heading above that psalm, that it talks about that this psalm was written when David was in a cave. In other words, what was going on was David was on the run from Saul, who was king. Saul was focused on killing him. He wanted David gone, he saw, his, saw him as the competition. And so he had fled to the hills, to the caves. And here we find him uh, running from his pursuers, sitting in this cave. And he pins these words, which give a picture, a glimpse into his bout with depression. And we see his depression in this psalm. And so let's get a glimpse into his depression as we read this psalm. First thing that we notice as we get a glimpse into David's depression that helps us is that we see that David felt discouraged. We might be able today be able to identify with David. He felt discouraged. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Now, to pour out your complaint you have to, lot, you have, to have a lot to complain about. He pours out his complaint before him. Before, and he's talking about God. Before him, I tell, before him, I tell my trouble. As we read between the lines, we see the discouragement that is all throughout those words. He's crying out to the Lord. He's pouring out his complaints to God. He is, has any number of things to be discouraged about. As we said, he's on the run from Saul who wants to kill him. David is a wanted man hiding out in this cave. And as he hides out in this cave, we can see uh, the the, the things that were contributing to his discouragement. There's something that the Scripture doesn't, in this passage, allude to, but was going on. Uh, History tells us that 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, is written about this same period of David's life. And this is what was going on in that cave. In 1 Samuel 22, it says this, that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So not only is David surrounded by his enemies, they are trying to kill him, but also when they hear, these people hear that he's in this cave, 400 people come down and start looking to him for help. 400 whiners and complainers come down. Now, if he wasn't depressed enough, when 400 whiners and complainers start hanging out with him, I mean, that just, you know, pulled him down and probably into an even darker place than he was before. And so that is where David was surrounded by these negative people who were adding to his feelings of discouragement. Look at verse 3, and we see that David was also not just discouraged, he was also disoriented. In verse 3, the first part of it, it says, and when my spirit grows faint, when my spirit grows faint within me, he's alluding to this feeling that he has of, of his spirit growing faint. David confesses that before the Lord. Other versions translate that Hebrew, fa- or Hebrew phrase uh, grows faint as overwhelmed. Literally, it's translated a muffling of the spirit. David says, my spirit is muffled. I'm disoriented. What happens when, when uh, someone is, has been drinking a lot? What do we tell them? We tell them not to drive. Why is that? Because drinking causes our, uh, our facilities, faculties, excuse me, faculties, to be muffled. Our senses to be muffled. And that causes us to be disoriented. We can't make decisions like we should be able to. We can't react quickly. Our our senses are muffled. David's spirit was muffled by what was going on, by this sense of this depression, this blue state that he was in. As a result, he was disoriented. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know what course to take. He didn't know what to do. He was being overwhelmed on all sides. Again, he had the, his enemies on the one side trying to kill him. And then he had all of these people that were going through difficulties in their own life and they are looking to him for answers. And he doesn't even have answers for himself, let alone answers for these other people. David was disoriented. David was discouraged. David would also, look at verse 4, David was feeling deserted. In verse 4, he writes, Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Not only is he feeling deserted or or disoriented and, and discouraged, he's also here we see feeling deserted. He's struggling, was contributing to his depression. And he was struggling because of his thinking, and when we're depressed, when we're going through those blue times, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is to engage in what we could call self-talk. Listen to the pity party that David has. As David writes, look to my right and see, no one is concerned for... what it? he sounds like Eeyore. No one's concerned for me. No one cares for my life. I have no refuge Those people that were around him, 400 people in a cave, and yet David says, I've been deserted, I'm all alone. 400 people all around him, and yet he still feels alone. Probably thinking, well, these people that are here, they don't care about me. They care about the fact that I'm the guy that kills the giants. I'm the guy that defeats the Philistine armies. I'm the guy that stands up against an unjust king. But do they care about me? And in his estimation, the answer is a resounding, no, they don't care. And we experience a similar emotion when we sit in a place like this, surrounded by hundreds of people, but in ourselves. We say to ourselves, When we ask ourselves the question, does anybody care? Even sometimes when we are surrounded by people, hundreds of people, we answer with David, no one cares. No one cares about my life. Even in those times when we are surrounded by people, David felt deserted and that no one cared. One uh, pastor friend used to call it stinking thinking. It's that negative self-talk that fuels our depression. When we begin to walk down this path into this blue period, then this self-talk begins and it becomes this downward spiral. It's been said, laugh, and the world laughs with you. Weep, and you weep alone. And David felt deserted like he was weeping alone in this cave. Notice also in verse, the first part of verse 6, and we also see that David was feeling desperate. Listen to what he says. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Other versions read, I am brought very low. As David thinks about his life, again, he's feeling desperate. He has faced the flesh and blood giants before. He has faced the lions and the bears and the Goliaths in life. And in, them, in those times, we don't get any sense that David ever felt desperate when he's standing in front of that nine-foot-tall, ten-foot-tall Goliath, that giant Goliath. Do you get any sense that he's desperate? When you hear the stories about him being out alone with his sheep and the lion and the bear come, do you get any sense that he ever felt desperate? Desperate? As he faced those enemies, you never get that sense. But here he's facing enemies, not just flesh and blood, but he's facing enemies in his own mind. And as he faces those feelings, those thoughts, that are not gotten rid of by stones and by strength, he's desperate. His joy is gone. His hope is gone his thoughts have turned inward again and in those times of blue cause us to turn our focus inward and david felt alone and in his desperation cries out is anybody here does anybody care will anyone come to my rescue david's desperate and then finally we see in the second part of verse 6 that david also feels defeated He writes, rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. So again, David feels defeated. David's hope is gone. As a young man, as he stood on the battlefield, as as he had come and his brothers, his dad had sent him to the front lines where that battle was raging, where Philistines were on were gathered on one side, and and the armies of the living God, as he describes them, were on the other side. As he goes where his brothers were serving in that Israelite army, as he goes there to deliver them some food, he realizes that there's this giant that's taunting the armies of the living God, and he 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 gets upset with Saul and all the other all the other uh, the rest of the army, and he can't believe that they would allow this Philistine to taunt them and, to, and to, to, uh, to make their God look bad. And what does he say to them? He says that I will do battle with that giant. And as he stands there on the battlefield with Goliath, his focus was not on his enemy he wasn't he didn't even think about defeat because his focus was not on that giant his focus was on a god that was with him a god that was with him to the degree that he didn't need armor he didn't need any weapon except five smooth stones and his little slingshot was all that he needed to defeat this giant he had his gaze not on the problem but on his god but here in this cave, he has his view not on God, but on his problems. Last year, uh, my family and I, we went to the Current River. Current River is a little uh, spring-fed river in southeast Missouri where Crystal's family, her dad, pastors in, in Popper Bluff area. And we had gone there and we were, were tent camping in this little area, having some fun. And one of the things that we got to do while we were there was to go into a couple caves one of those caves, you had to have a park ranger to take you into it. It was so large and, and deep. And so we went a half mile back into this cave. Now, a half mile into a cave is a fur piece, as they say in Southern Illinois. <laughs> um, and as we got way back into the very back of this cave, the, our guide, this lady, she says, okay, now, in this little group we had, she said, okay, now I want everybody to turn off your lights. You have never experienced, I had never experienced darkness like that darkness of that cave a half mile into the bowels of the earth. As you sat there in that darkness, what happened very quickly was that very quickly I became very anxious My mind started, you know, well, what if these lights don't turn back on? There's no way we'll ever find a way out of here. You know, my mind just starts racing about what's going to happen and you just feel this oppressiveness as you are there in the darkness. And as David is there in the darkness, it's hard when you're looking through dark glasses in a dark cave to see and to feel hope. And David felt no hope David felt defeated. His enemies all around him. And as we hear his words, we hear his depression talking. Defeat is the only option that seems realistic for him. This psalm gives us an uncensored glimpse into the blue darkness of depression that was David's life at this point. David has gone from days of sending stones into giants' heads to having giants in his own head that he cannot defeat. But, but. But David does not stay in the cave. And so let's talk about what, are, what, was Dave, what, were, what were his strategies that helped him find victory in the midst of the depression, that blue time in that cave, that helped him go from the cave to the palace, that helped him to be one that God said of him, a man after my own heart, one that didn't, didn't stay confined to that cave, but could write later, he, that, that as you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, fear no evil, for God goes with you. What were, what were his strategies for finding victory as he manages to find victory in the midst of this battle with depression. His strategy we see in this same psalm. It's something that as he was doing it, he wasn't getting victory at that moment, but as he continued to do it, as it became a part of who he was, and he practiced it, we see that the end result was he found, he found freedom from the bonds of his depression. And so what will help us? And let's put it into, let's personalize it for our own lives. And the first thing that we see is that we must verbalize our problems to God. Verbalize your problems to God. And that's what David did. In verse 1, we see him crying out to the Lord. In verse 2, we see him, as we said, pouring out his complaints before God. Again, in verse 5 and 6, we see him crying out to God. Throughout this psalm, we see David over and over crying out, pouring out, giving his problems to God. We need to do that as well. As we walk through these blue times, we need to be honest with God. We say, well, you know, why do I need to tell God my problems? Why do I need to tell God what's going on within me? God already knows that. I shouldn't have to tell him. Well, that's true. He does know what's going on. One reason, a very simple reason I would give you why you need to tell God about what's really going on in your life. One thing is that he told you to do it. So out of obedience, do it. The second thing, he told you to do it because he knew it would be good for you to do it. God never tells us to do something but what it's not good for us. God tells us to share with him, to unload, to de- debrief with him because it's good for us to share with God about what's going on in our lives, to verbalize our problems to God. The other thing I would share with you again, that there are situations and times in our lives when we also need to do that with people. And you may be in a dark cave that you cannot on your own find your way out of and you need a guide. And again, that's why we have a little table out in the lobby today and where there is someone that is a professional that can help you and guide you out of the depression with God's help. So I encourage you either for yourself or for someone that you know or love to take advantage of that. But we see him verbalizing his problems to God. And so he opens up during this blue season. We see him crying out to God, really sharing with God his his deepest thoughts. This psalm is a prayer journal. We have David's deepest thoughts recorded for us here. He shares with God the raw emotion that is going on, the feelings that he is experiencing. And we see that throughout the psalms. When David wishes uh, that, you know, when David would love for his enemies to die, he says that. He writes that. He confesses that to God. When he's feeling sorry for himself, David says it. When he wishes that he were, uh, you know, when he doubts God, he says it. We, on the other hand, what do we do? We have a tendency not to be real with God, not to be real with each other. We we come to church, we put our masks on, we act like everything's okay, and we don't let anyone in to know what's really going on. And we even do that with God. We even play games, even in our times of prayer, even with God, where we don't really share the deep place, the real hurt, the burden that we experience. God does not need us to candy coat what's going on in our lives. God is big enough to hear the raw emotion of what you think and what you feel. And I would encourage you to do as David, to verbalize, not to play games with God, God knows where you are, and to have a no-holds-barred conversation with the living God who can take it, and to be real with him. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to recognize our presence before God. Look at verse 3. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. At this point in the psalm, he acknowledges that even during his times of depression, even during this blue state, that his God is with him in that. He recognizes his presence there with God. He knows my way. David's overwhelmed by his enemies. He's overwhelmed by life situations. He's overwhelmed by his guilt. And I wish I could get into the guilt that he was experiencing as well, which also in subsequent parts of Scripture. And Study this psalm and you'll get it. But David also was in this cave feeling guilty about some of the things he had done. All the while, though, he acknowledges that God is at work in my life. God is dealing, busy dealing with my situation even when at present I am overwhelmed. The reality is that God was with him in that cave and he was acknowledging that. In those moments that David is despairing, He also says, God, I know that you're here with me. You are closer than than I can even recognize. There's a a story of a grandfather who was talking to his granddaughter, and he asked his granddaughter what she had learned at church. And she said, well, I learned this about God. What I learned is that God never says, oops. That's a pretty good theological statement. God never says oops. God never makes mistakes. We can never find our way to a cave, to a place where God did not know we would end up there. We could never, David could never find his way to a cave that God wasn't already there waiting for him when he arrived. Joseph could never be thrown into a prison that God did not have the key for it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could never get thrown into a furnace that God did not have his hand on the thermostat in the midst of that furnace. Daniel could never go to a lion's den that the omnipotent lion tamer was not already in the lion's den waiting for him. And Jonah could never charter a boat that was going to cruise out outside of the Lord's jurisdiction. We can go nowhere outside of the presence of the living God in this life. And that means there is no cave of darkness and depression so deep and so great that our God cannot, by his power and by the power of Jesus Christ, bring us out of it. His presence is with us. The presence of a loving Heavenly Father the next thing that we need to realize is that we need to realize our provision in God. In verse five, he says, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David reminds himself that he is talking to the living God. And it is God who is his only source for provision. My God is all that I need. What does he say? He is my portion. He is my provision in the land of the living. David allows himself to articulate the truth that in this life, in the land of the living, that God is my only source ultimately for help. There's an old African-American preacher who said it this way. There's no living, and he was commenting on this verse, this particular verse. He said this, there's no living in the land of the living like living in the living God. Let me say that one more time. There's no living in the land of the living like living in with the living God. When David talks about the land of the living, he's not talking about some future state. He's not talking about that there will be a day someday when God will be my provision, when I get to heaven someday, when I, when I when, you know, all of those things. That is not what David's talking about. David is saying on the, in the here and now, he's not talking about heaven, he's talking about here and now. God is my provision with me in this cave. He is my source. And as our world searches in a myriad of places, when life gets tough, when depression comes, we must realize that God is our only source, our refuge, our only provision. And then finally, and this is awesome, the end of this psalm, verse 7, we must If we are going to find our way out of the darkness, out of the blueness, out of the depression, out of that place, a key strategy in what we must do is we must resume our praise to God. Look at verse 7. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name and then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. The final bit of this strategy comes at the end of this psalm. When his enemies are still all around him, when his feelings of hopelessness are still fresh in his heart, when his vision is still clouded by the doubts of what could be, as he still sits in this cave, he pins these words, my heart. What does he say? Set me free from this prison that I may praise your name. We see his heart resuming its praise to God in the midst of his darkness. He makes a conscious decision to praise, to worship his God. Depression leaves us focusing within ourselves, on ourselves, and having those pity parties, and and the self-talk, and feeling deserted, and feeling depressed, and feeling all of those negative emotions. It's all about us. It's, It's an internal focus. And what worship does, worship gets us looking not within ourselves. Worship gets us looking into the eyes of the living God, and that's what we need. And that's where we will end up today, with worship of the living God. We set up in our worship earlier talking about the table, talking about the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrate through the Lord's Supper, through communion. And in just a moment, we're going to take of that communion as we, as we remember what he did for us, as we worship him. And if our folks are gonna help us with that, could go ahead and get ready. But I wanna read you a psalm, another psalm if If you didn't get the memo, the Psalms are not written in chronological order. Psalm 57 was written, scholars tell us, around the same time as this Psalm 142. And this is what David says. Listen to his praise of God in Psalm 57 when he writes, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awaken, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens let your glory be over all the earth. And out of his depression, out of his, this despair, we find a genuine desire to praise and worship the Father is, is birthed. And what does he say? He says, awaken. And this morning, as we conclude, with a time of worship, as we worship the living God, let us pray that that praise and worship would be awakened and that will help drag us out of that cave as we focus not on ourselves and not on our problems but as we focus together on the living god and so in just a moment i'm going to invite those that are serving us to come in just a moment and as you receive the elements i'm going to ask you during this time of worship as the lord leads you as you're ready to take of those elements so we're going to do that you're going to kind of do that on your own today as you take the bread that represents the body of Christ, as you take the cup which represents the blood of Christ, you will do that on your own as you're served. But before they come, let me remind you of the victory that we can have with God. Reminds you of the words, again, to that song that we started out from the Rembrandts. You remember, the, does anybody know the, actually the title of that song? The title of that song is, I'll be there for you. The Rembrandts stole that line. They stole that line from Jesus who told us, I will be there with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Today, as we experience communion, It is our reminder that as we sit in our dark cave, that God, the Son of God, is with us. With us in the cave. And he has the formula, the recipe, the power to help us out of it as we journey with him, as we focus on him. I'll be there for you. Today, let your healing begin as we take of communion. So I'm gonna invite those that are serving us to come. I'm also going to invite Sheila, who is uh, going to help lead us in this time of worship. She signs for us this song, Amazing Grace, and there's also another new part that uh, Chris Tomlin has added to this great classic song. But as these words are signed for you, as you listen to them, Allow the bondage of depression to begin to break and crack as you are set free in Christ today as we worship together. Amen. I hope you can walk out of here, even if you still are in the darkness of that cave, that you can, still, that you can begin to see a glimmer of hope as you begin to put into practice those things that we see David put into practice. And maybe it's a person in your life that uh, you are trying to love on in Jesus' name, that you're gonna help to guide them out of that place. But God bless you, whether you are in the cave or know someone that's in the cave, but also know that if you're not in the cave, that there will be a day when you will be. And so remember what we've learned here today, that key point, focus not on yourself, the focus on the living God. May the Lord bless you. If you are here with us for the very first time, we are so delighted that you have chosen to come worship with us today. Hope you'll come back. We got, uh, in, as you walk down this uh, gathering area to the far, very end to the right, there's a room. We've got some gifts. We'd love to give you a gift and maybe introduce you to some, some folks, and maybe answer any questions you might have about First Church. We're glad that you're here. Also, if you know of someone or if you are that person that is battling a difficult time and you'd like to get some help, to to guide you out of that. Uh, Marsha is there in the lobby. She's a professional, uh, runs the counseling center, the Southwest Medical Center. So would love to get you hooked up with her so you could find some help or find some help for someone that you know. May the Lord bless you as you leave today. And we're gonna leave with this little reminder from this song, I'll be there for you. Lord bless you as you leave today.